If you have your copy of Scripture, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Revelation, the end of Revelation in chapters 21 and 22. might be easier to actually start at the back of the Bible and just flip back uh, a few pages and uh, start at Revelation uh, 21 and 22. We're not going to read uh, all of the passages this morning, although we'll look at uh, a few uh, different verses from uh, Revelation and uh, throughout the Bible, and so just have your copy of Scripture um, ready, and we can kind of flip back and forth together. Now, I'll just ask you a question. Do you, do you want to go to heaven? Oh, at least three or four of you do. <laughs> I'll ask one more time because you might be more awake. Do you guys want to go to heaven? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. There you go. Some enthusiasm there. Um, have you ever thought about it, what it would be like? Well, uh, I was just thinking this week, it's, uh, this past week, it's, uh, no, it's, it's summertime in, in Kentucky, and this past week on uh, the 4th of July, when uh, many people were celebrating uh, or outside trying to celebrate the, uh, the birth of the country with their family and friends, uh, it was just over, uh, I was looking online, it said it was just over 42 degrees, and with the humidity, it felt more like 48 degrees. Now, on days like that, and you've all experienced those sort of 48 degree uh, days, you'd like to be anywhere that's cool and fresh and comfortable, wouldn't you? And so... I'm sure there's some of uh, my family and friends who are saying, oh, Lord Jesus, just take us home. You know? uh, they want to be somewhere cool and fresh and comfortable. Uh, and we all long for comfort, don't we? Not just from the heat. Um, I remember the first time I ever experienced a 48-degree day here in Australia. We were in western Sydney, and it was one of my first, yeah, I'd only been in the country a couple weeks. I'd never seen heat like this. And I thought... You could sit in front of the air conditioning. It doesn't do anything. You can't keep up with that. And you just kind of sweat it off, and all the Aussies are just going along. It's just another day. You know? And I was thinking, oh, this is incredibly incredible heat. I was longing for comfort. I remember actually having to get a shower, like a cool shower and try to cool off. And it felt like a couple hours later I was back in a, a cool shower trying to cool off. And uh, you just kind of can't escape that sort of heat. I was longing for comfort. But we all long for comfort, not just from heat, but some are longing for uh, comfort in times of, uh, of marital conflict or uh, difficulties at work, uh, painful illness or sickness, financial challenges. Uh, some are experiencing incredible emotional and, and mental illness. Some in today's world are experiencing extreme persecution, war and famine. There are persecution of Christians right now in the Middle East uh, like some that we've never seen incredible persecution of Christians. There's always on the news uh, wars or threats of war all around the world. At this moment, some of Africa is experiencing one of the worst famines in history. Sin has affected God's creation since the very beginning. And it has affected the relationship that we can have with God. We are all separated from His beauty, His perfection, His grace, His peace, His comfort. Except that Jesus offered His own life as an atoning sacrifice. 1 John 2, 2 and Romans 3, 25 says, Christ is an atoning sacrifice, bringing us at one with God. Because He laid down His life for our sins. He was an atoning sacrifice, not just for us, but for any who would trust in Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? We were separated from God for all eternity. 
because of sin. Back, way back in the beginning, we're at the end of the Bible. Now at the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 3, sin enters into the world. And from that very time, man's relationship with God was affected by the sin. We were separated from God because of the sin. All of nature was affected because of the sin. And yet Christ offered his own life as an atoning sacrifice to make us one with God for any who will trust in him. And so any who have faith in Jesus have life, eternal life, forever secure in him. And today we've come to look at these final couple chapters in this book of Revelation. It's been great to have a few weeks to just kind of work our way through this amazing little book. Now we've seen that this book is all about Jesus and We've seen him really in this book for who he really is, as King of kings and Lord of lords, as the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sins of the world, the one who offers salvation for any who will trust in him. And any who fall, any who fall to the temptations of this world and do, choose to not accept Jesus as a Savior is separated from God for all eternity. And yet Revelation says that death, hell, the grave, Satan or demons, world leaders or kingdoms, nothing has more power over our God. Jesus is victorious over all, and he has paid the price so that any who trust in him can have life. For those who trust in Jesus, death is not the end. Eternal life with Christ is yours for any who trust in Jesus. So what will that look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because that leads us right into Revelation uh, chapter 21 and 22. Some of you who are reading your Bible every day would know that in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 13, it says over and over, How long, O Lord? How long are you going to allow this suffering to continue? How long are you going to allow this persecution to continue? In Revelation chapter 6, we covered the, the persecuted saints are saying, How long, Lord? Are you going to let evil triumph? When are you going to step in? When is the end of it all? Well, Revelation 21 begins by saying the end is near. And all things will soon be made new. Now this has been needed since, Revela or since Genesis chapter 3. It's been needed since almost the beginning. And Christ says here, the time has come where there'll be a new heaven and new earth. Let me read verses 1 to 8. It says, this is John talking. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no crying, no pain. For the older things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God and they will be my children. 
But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who are practicing magic arts, the idolaters, and the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. We have to recognize from the very beginning, way back in Genesis 1, God created all things. The story is in Genesis 1. It's also highlighted in Psalm 102, verse 25. says, God created all things from the very beginning, and all things are created uh, for His pleasure. And it's God who creates... God who um, creates a new, a new earth to replace the old. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17 says, See, I will create new heavens and new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. We've mentioned previously in Revelation, there's so much of the Old Testament. For this early church that Revelation was, the persecuted church that Revelation was written to, such great hope. And it says, they remind the church of the words of this great prophet where God is saying, I will create a new heaven and new earth. These former things are not to be remembered. They will not even come to mind. And this holy city is where it will reside now. And this holy city, it says, it's coming down out of heaven. looks as beautiful as a bride prepared for her husband. Wow, what a sight. Now, I, I certainly remember... The moment of beauty and wonder when I first saw Lindy walking down the aisle toward me. I have to say, I mean, I've only experienced it once. I'm only going to experience it once. But I have to say, from my perspective, there's nothing more beautiful. And I, I've, I've done a lot of weddings where I'm sitting with the groom, and he's just kind of looking and just to get that glimpse of her. And the first time you see her in that dress and you think, wow, she's for me. I just remember thinking, thank you, God. What a precious gift. Not only on that day, but all the days of my life. For this church, this persecuted church, going, they're struggling. And God says, don't worry. The end is near. And I'm going to make all things new. This death and the persecution and the suffering that you experience now, the sickness and the darkness will be no more. There will be a new heaven, a new earth that I will create for you, for any who trust in me. And that what, I, what will be presented to you will be like the beautiful bride prepared for her husband. And God himself will dwell among his people. Now for this church, this is revolutionary. This is such a change. We're spoils, aren't we, as Christians, because we're so used to just having a relationship with God. The Holy Spirit of God is with us at all times, and we walk with Him and talk with Him. But you have to recognize that in the Old Testament, the only people who went into God's presence, the only person was the high priest. And only once a year, he went into the Holy of Holies, this special room in the tabernacle and then in the temple. The Holy of Holies was where the, the Ark of the Covenant was, and God's presence was represented and only this high priest could go in once a year and offer sacrifices for himself and the other high priests and all the people of Israel. And he wore on his breastplate uh, jewels representing each of the 12, uh, 12 jewels representing the 12 tribes of Israel. So he's representing all the people of Israel as he stands in God's presence. In the New Testament, 
God's presence was in Jesus, who was walking and talking amongst uh, some of the people here in this early church. Then in Acts, we see the Holy Spirit comes on the believers with, with fire and power. And Jesus says he will leave the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, with us for any who trust in him until he returns. And then it says there will be a new heaven and a new earth in which God himself will dwell with us. And people can walk with him and talk with him. Just how it was meant to be from the very beginning. And God himself will wipe every tear from our eyes. Like a mother to a child. But tender comfort. Again in Isaiah, Isaiah 25 verse 8 tells us of a day when the sovereign Lord will wipe every tear from the face of his people. And Revelation 21 here says he will not only wipe every tear from our eyes, but he'll wipe away any reason for tear. There'll be no more death, no more mourning or sorrow, no more wailing and weeping, no more pain. What a day that will be. This sort of life, verse 6 says, is available to any who will trust in Jesus. To those who are victorious in Jesus, those who are victorious are the same ones in, in verse 6. They're the, same, the ones who trust in Jesus. Jesus is the victor. Jesus is the one who's conquered sin and death, hell and the grave, to offer life to any who trust in Him. Now verse 8 kind of says, those who will miss out on heaven. Now this is not an exhaustive list. In fact, it's not even meant to be a descriptive list of certain sins that if you cross that line, you're out. This is simply talking about the people who choose to live life for themselves and they, they trust in other ways rather than leaning on Jesus. They follow the deceptions of the devil and they're people who do not trust in Jesus as their Savior and so they will not experience this everlasting life. This is for those who trust in Jesus. This beautiful paradise. Now the Bible in Revelation 21 not only describes this new heaven, but then goes on to describe uh, this, uh, this new Jerusalem, this city that, that comes down out of heaven like a bride for her groom. In the Old Testament, Jerusalem in the, the, the southern uh, kingdom of Judah was a sacred city of God. The temple of God was there and uh, it was destroyed by, by many armies. It was destroyed many times and it was kept destroyed by many other armies because they thought if they stamped out the, the temple of God, they would stamp out God and His power. No such luck. God is far more powerful than any temple or any dwelling of man. And this new Jerusalem, which is described in verses 10 to 21, is a beautiful city. Look with me in verse 9. It says, One of the seven angels that had the seven bowls full of the seven plagues that we covered uh, earlier came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me to the holy city, Jerusalem. Coming, he, sorry, showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with glory of God. And its brilliance was like a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with the 12 angels at the gates. On the gates there were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. 
there were three gates on the east and three on the north and three on the south and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and found that it was 12,000 stadia high, or sorry, in length, and it was as wide and as high as it is long. The angel then measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper. The city was made of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city, uh, of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third um, agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, the, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was gold as pure as transparent glass. Isn't that a beautiful picture of heaven? John was taken up in the spirit onto this high mountain so he could see the city of God. And it says, I will take you to show you the bride of Christ, the, the people of God, the city of God. This, for the early church, would have reminded them of the, the words of Ezekiel, chapter 40, when he was taken up in a vision to, see, to a high mountain to see the temple. And when he describes the measurements of the city, they're incredible. It says that the wall, the walls of the city are 2,414 kilometers long. Now that's about half the distance across this country from, from east to, to west. Not only are they 2,414 kilometers long, they're 2,414 kilometers high and wide. In fact, it looks from the information provided here in Revelation 21 that this massive structure is a cube, a huge cube-type structure. Now, the only other time that a cube is mentioned in the Bible in the Old Testament or New Testament is inside the Holy of Holies, where God himself dwells. The Holy of Holies in the tabernacle is designed as a perfect, perfect cube where God's presence dwelt among his people. Here, when John is taken up uh, in the spirit uh, to this high mountain to see the people of God, he's shown this city in, in the shape of a, a cube, showing where God's uh, presence will dwell among God's people. And every measurement given for the New Jerusalem is in twelves or, or variations of twelves, clearly representing, as we, we've mentioned in weeks before, representing God's people, God's presence with God's people. Now, some would believe that this uh, 2,414 um, kilometers is the, uh, the, circu the circumference. Some believe that it's each wall. Either way, I think the point of the Scripture is clear that there's room enough in this city for everyone. There are any who will trust in Jesus. And it's secure as well. Verse 17 says, The walls are 507 kilometers thick. Now, 
If I could go back to our Kentucky route for a moment, I'd say, ain't nothing getting through that. <laughs> 507 kilometers thick, these walls. They're absolutely safe, absolutely secure in this new city. The walls have 12 gates, three on each wall, representing the 12 tribes of Israel, or God's people in the Old Testament. The walls have 12 foundations, representing the 12 apostles of Jesus from the New Testament. Again, this is represented from the, the 24 elders. If you remember, there are 24 little thrones around the throne of God, representing the, the people of God, all those who have trusted in Jesus throughout all time. Here in this new Jerusalem, a new, new city, there will be this, the, the 12 of uh, the Old Testament, the 12 of the New Testament, all the people of God surrounding the throne of God. Each foundation was decorated with a precious stone. Now, the precious stones were always important in the, uh, the temple. We see that in Genesis 2 and Exodus 25, uh, verses 7, 11, and 17, how the precious stones decorated inside the Holy of Holies, uh, representing the, the beauty and, and, and creation of God. Precious stones, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Exodus 28, verses 17 to 20, says that the 12 tribes of Israel were represented on the breastplate of the high priest with 12 precious stones when he went into the Holy of Holies. And here, in this new, new heaven, new, new Jerusalem, it says there will be walls of jasper, a city of pure gold, as pure as glass, foundations decorated with precious stones, 12 gates, each one a single pearl. Now that's a big pearl, isn't it? But it's interesting that Many of the precious stones that were mentioned here in Revelation 21 were very rare. Many of them were hard to get by. They were considered extremely wor worth an extreme amount. They were extremely hard to get. But pearls were considered the most common of decoration. Even peasants, when they decorate some of their, their clothing with, with pearls, to be considered beautiful. And I actually think it's a beautiful picture of the, the gates to this new city. Because... Precious and rare or, or, you know, hard to get will be some of these other precious stones. But the way into the city is, is common and is easy. It's trusting in Jesus, isn't it? It's simple. We so overcomplicate the gospel. We make it difficult to become Christians when Jesus says any who trusts in him can have life, eternal life. There are 12 gates to the city. Each one is a single pearl. There are streets of gold. I know I'm a, I'm a pretty simple person, but I think here, poor John is just using the best words he can think of to try to grasp and explain what he's seeing here. I think it's just beyond belief. Paul mentions that in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, says, What no eye has seen and what no ear has heard, what no human mind can conceive, the things God, these are the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. Isn't that beautiful? What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what cannot even enter the mind of man. These are the sort of things that God has prepared for those who love Him. Verse 22 says, No longer will there be any temple. He says, I didn't see any temple in the city because God and Jesus are the temple. There's no need to go to be with God. They are right there amongst the people. Verse 25 says, There'll be no night. You're absolutely secure in Christ. The gates are left wide open all day, every day, because Jesus is the light in that new city. There's no night. 
kind of like the, uh, the never-ending summer days. I remember the first time Lindy went to, um, uh, we went as a family back to America. It was around the 4th of July, a few years ago. And Lindy, she's like, is this day never going to end? She goes, the summer days in America just go on forever. And I remember it being 9, 9.30 at night, and it was as bright as the middle of the day. And Lindy's like, oh, our kids are never going to sleep. <laughs> this is going to go on forever. These, these lazy, hazy, crazy days of summer in America, they just go on forever. Well, this is like that sort of never-ending summer day. You can still play and, and, and be at peace in freedom, in security. It's something we don't see much of anymore. But someday, for those who are in Christ... For those, verse 27 says, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, they will experience this life of, of peace and comfort and security like we've never known. Chapter 22 goes into an eternal walk with God. What this new heaven and new earth and this time with God is going to be like. Look with me in verses, uh, verse 1 to 5. Chapter 22, verse 1 says, Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street and the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Wow. Beautiful. God's intent from the very beginning, when he first created man, in the beginning of Genesis, God's intent was to have fellowship with man. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, Leviticus chapter 26, Deuteronomy 23, 2 Samuel 7, all talk about God wanting to, to walk with us and, and talk with us, the fellowship He longed to have with man. And it was all destroyed because of sin, the curse of sin. Where the tree of life is. You know, where the people are, are, are secured and blessed. Genesis 23, 24 talks about after sin enters the world, God drives Adam and Eve out of the garden and places an angel there to, to guard them from ever having access to the tree of life until Christ returns and makes all things new. But when things are restored by God, this angel, an angel actually takes John right up to the river of life, flowing down from God's throne. Rivers all, always, the Bible represent life because of the, the water and food and, and trade which came with those river. And on each side of this river of life flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, there's the tree of life blooming 12 times a year, each month providing fruit and life for sustenance and, and healing. And it says, no longer 
Is there a curse? Now this is a reference to Genesis 3, when the, the sin entered the world and all of the land and the plants and the animals were cursed because of the sin. Now all things are new for those who are in Christ. Now verses 8 to 9 actually take us to a section, is actually the same verses as Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, where John sees all of this and he's just amazed and he falls at the feet of the angel to worship. And the angel says, no, no, don't worship me. I'm just a fellow servant. Only worship God on high. And then Revelation 22, verse 11, seems like a strange verse. Let me read that for you. Revelation 22, verse 11 says, Let the one who does wrong continue to do what's wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. Let the holy person continue to be holy. Let the wrong keep doing wrong. Let the vile keep being vile. Let the one who does right keep being right. Let the holy person keep being holy. Now, this verse may seem strange, but let me say it is in no way God condoning sin or even God giving permission to sin because God hates sin. It is rather God saying that at this point, by this time when there's this new heaven and new earth, there's no longer a chance to turn from the sin. No more opportunity to turn to Christ. But we each have to decide in this life, before Christ returns, what we will do with, with Jesus. Will you trust Him? There is an urgency here for the church because Jesus says repeatedly in, in, in Revelation 22, I'm coming soon. Church, don't be afraid to tell that loved one about Jesus or to tell that neighbor about Jesus or that sinner in your workplace about Jesus. We are told by Jesus himself we don't have much time before he returns. And after that, this amazing new heaven and new earth described here with the amazing new Jerusalem and dwelling in peace forevermore in God's presence is only for those who have put their trust in Jesus. Look with me now at some of the words of Jesus in Revelation 22. In verse 7, he says, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who heed the words of this book. Verse 12 to 16. Jesus says to trust in him. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Now, that, that's simply the Alpha and the Omega, simply the, the first and the last words of the Greek alphabet. He says, I am the beginning and the end. You see, the end of the world is not a date in time. The end is Jesus. He is in control of all things. All life is in Jesus and Jesus alone. And he sent his angel to tell John who he really is, to paint for us in this book of Revelation this beautiful picture of the power and the majesty, yet the grace and mercy in God and the eternal life that's available to any who will trust in him. Verse 19, he says again, I'm coming soon. Verse 17 to 19 is a beautiful call to follow Jesus. Verse 17 says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the free gift of water of life. I warn everyone who hears the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in the scroll. If anyone takes words away from the scroll of the prophecy, God will take away from that person any share of the tree of, the life, of, tree of life and in the holy city which is described herein. 
He who testifies to these things say, says, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with his people. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? It's a call to follow Jesus in verses 17 to, to 19. Let the thirsty trust in Jesus. The Gospel of John, John also wrote, says to, to let anyone who is thirsty ask of Jesus and he will give them eternal life. The message here is, is powerful in verses 18 and 19. Not to stray from the central message of the book of Revelation. To trust in Jesus no matter what. If anyone adds anything to it, they are cursed. If anyone takes away from that, they're cursed. Now, Revelation is a story of, of Jesus. The end of the, uh, the whole story of the redemption of God's people from the Old Testament and the New Testament, all redeemed through faith in Jesus Christ, through trust in God, through Jesus. And they're summed up here in verses 16 and 17. Any who choose Christ have life. If you try to add to that, if you try to find any other way to to salvation, you will suffer the death and judgment and separation from God. If you try to take away from that, Jesus is the only way. If you try to take away from that, as many world religions do today, as many philosophers and teachers do today, and say there's no need to trust in Jesus, just be a good person, that'll be enough. Give enough to the church, that'll be enough. If you try to follow any other way than Jesus, you'll suffer the death, the judgment, and separation from God. Jesus himself says in John's Gospel, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Revelation 21 and 22. To close this great series leaves us with these promises. All that has been lost in Jesus has been re reclaimed. All that's been destroyed in Jesus is restored. All that is wrong in Jesus will be made right. Jesus, Jesus, we are redeemed because of Jesus. I want to close with the words of this great old hymn, Redeemed, How I Love to Proclaim It. It says this, Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy. His child forever I am. Redeemed and so happy in Jesus. No language my rapture can tell. I know that the light of His presence with me doth continually dwell. I think of my blessed Redeemer. I think of Him all the day long. I sing, for I cannot be silent. His love is the theme of my song. I know I shall see Him in His beauty, the King in whose way I delight, who lovingly guardeth my footsteps and guideth me, guideth my songs in the night. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed, His child and forever I am. Let's just pray. God, I thank you for the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for this new heaven and new earth that will be the final dwelling place for those who trust in you that's, that's available to any who trust in you. Lord, thank you that someday, thanks to Jesus, all that is wrong with our world, all that is wrong with the family and the, the things that we experience every day, the trials and the struggles, all will be made right. We will be in a place of perfect peace, perfect security, at one with you in your presence forevermore. Thank you, Lord, for the hope, for the security we have in you. Thank you, Lord, that you don't offer to us what we deserve, 
you offer to us life, eternal life. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your power that you are able to provide for us these things. May you be honored and glorified, Lord, through all we do. In Jesus' name we pray.